What story are you telling? Whether you're intentional about it or not, you have an audience and they think in story. The Doug Thompson podcast features diverse storytellers sharing their practical tips for telling the story they need others to envision and trust in order to take a new action. Here's your host, Doug Thompson. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Doug Thompson podcast. We're getting a little strange today. We're going to talk a little artificial intelligence. No, not my brain. We've all covered that that's artificially intelligent. But we're going to be talking with uh, an aficionado on this. He's got a book coming out. Patrick Lynn. Patrick, how you doing? Hey, Doug. Uh, doing well. How are you doing this morning? I am better than I deserve to quote another famous radio personality on that. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, you've got a book coming out. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll sort of get into the book and, and some AI stuff, because I'm an, an AI nerd uh, when, it, when it comes to – I just love the topic about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a bit of a nerd myself. I think it takes one to write a whole book about it. Yeah, no, I mean, I've been really curious about the space for several years now. And, um, and I've always been really interested in, I think, you know, I'm currently finishing up my last year of law school, but um, I've been interested in technology even way before then, uh, way before um, in being interested in the law, and really sort of curious about the way it affects people's rights. And I think how um, we think of technology is really fair and objective and, and unbiased, but we forget that we, you know, as people, we make this stuff. Um, and, and that can introduce a lot of issues too. And so, um, yeah, that's sort of, um, what I'm, I think the most sort of curious about, I think that that's what gets me all riled up. I think about the topic. <laughs> well, yeah, I talk to, I, I talk to people and there's two frames of mind. So there's the dystopian view, which seems to be the most popular of the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to come back and Skynet's going to take over. And it's you know just very dystopian. If you look at a lot of those things and then the other side of the house is you know the more the it's the jetsons it's the other thing life will be better it's sort of the promises of this it's, i guess some of it's optimistic some of it's pessimistic but somewhere in the middle lies the truth and i think that's what you're sort of trying to outline in your book if i'm not mistaken yeah no i i love those two ends of the spectrum there i think um yeah i i do think that the answer is somewhere in the middle right i think at the end of the day, I think technology has made a lot of things much better and more convenient. Mm -hmm. I think it curates a lot of things for us too. Um, but I think also, you know, I think like anything, right? Too much of it is, it can be dangerous. And I think especially when there are times where I think there should be kind of a human in the loop, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who's there to uh, make sure that everything's in check. And, um, you know, I think an analogy that I like to use a lot is sort of when we invented autopilot for airplanes, right? We didn't suddenly start sending, you know, passengers up into the into the sky without at least one, you know, pilot in the in the cockpit. And I think we need to rely on experts to be able to direct us sometimes. Um, and especially when we're using AI to make sort of these criminal justice decisions, I think that that gets kind of kind of spooky. And I think we need someone to to sort of be there to keep it in check. Yeah, I mean, we still don't. We we have drones. And, and you you would call them pilotless, but you've got some kid you know that's this with a joystick that's been playing video games their entire life, sort of running it. So it's not necessarily all on its own. I, I think the fear comes in if as you hear about the news, is you know the Facebook and the algorithm and how they're skewing our point of view. You know there, there's that there's that theory, and you know again sometimes even with humans involved, if you're if you're designing things with Again, you mentioned biases. 
Uh, and I want to talk about that a little bit. You know, if you put your own bias into the code, into the algorithm, you know, the, the difference is, is AI and machine learning allows you to make mistakes much faster and a much larger scale than a single human can do on their own. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that whole, you know, to scale situation is, is really scary because I think, um, on, on the one side, right. I think, I think sort of what automation has done for mental, um, you know, labor and like having to think and process information and data. I think that's sort of been the same way that the industrial revolution has really changed the way we, we do manual labor. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're able to do so much more, so much faster with data and with information, but that doesn't necessarily make it more fair or more just. Right. And mm -hmm. so, I think especially when we use historical data, right? Certain groups of people have been targeted by police, um, you know, in different points in our history. Um, and if we use that same data uh, to make decisions about policing, I think we're just gonna see the same mistakes being made over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we, you know, something I talk about in the book is that we should be more aspirational with our technology, right? I think we've cut a lot of corners for the sake of, you know, quote unquote innovation and, and disruption and all that, you know, those, those buzzwords when I think we could also be using technology in ways I think could really produce a lot of really great positive um, social good. And I, I just don't think we're asking the right questions all the time. Uh, well, and I think there are people, I mean, there's people like you that, that think about this and, and are asking those questions, but the, but their voices drown out by, you know, big business or, or what have you, that's, that seems to be doing things for reasons we don't know you know, the phone spying on us, I still get a little suspicious and it could simply be coincidence of when like I'm talking to you about XYZ and I look at my phone and all of a sudden I see an ad for XYZ and I'm like, what the hell is that? You know, I didn't ask a question. I didn't browse anything on And all of a sudden these things are starting to, to come up. So you get that little Orwellian, you know, 1984, the big brothers listening aspect of us that, that doesn't necessarily, you know, on the one hand, they could give us better services, and things like that. I mean, if you used it for good, but I, I just don't see that on a regular basis. And I think the people that are trying to use it for good sort of have to overcome this blemish that's put on by those that are trying to commercialize it or, you know, do it for their own, uh, their own ends, you know, their own profit. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And I think, I think the issue is um, when the business and profit making incentive is so big, it can be difficult to sort of say, well, I'm, I'm going to be altruistic now. I'm going to, I want to try to do the right thing, even though it's going to cost yeah. me money or it's going to, it's not going to make as much money for, mm -hmm. for my stockholders or whatever that might be. Um, and I think, especially in, I think the, the big tech space, right. I mm -hmm. think, um, you know, I, I, I think there's just, yeah, there's just no, there, there isn't a whole lot of motivation, I think to, to necessarily do good. Right. Um, you know, Facebook, um, you know, most recently as you know, we, we found out that, you know, misinformation, for example, creates more activity and more traffic on their website. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's hard to say, well, we'll correct this. And, you know, it's good for the public to have the right information. Mm -hmm. um, but, oh, but they're going to be less engaged. They're going to do less on our platform. Um, that means less ad revenue for us. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to justify that from a business standpoint. Right. Yeah. And so I think, I think we need to think about how do we also create, you know, incentives for, you know, social good to be done too. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really tough question to answer. Well, I think, you, you know, if, if you have humans involved with an altruistic motive, as you mentioned, in the decision process of just because we can do something, the question answered, should we do it? You know, for example, if you, if you look at, 
<clears throat> factory automation. Now, this is not necessarily a, I mean, it's, it's a form, it has some AI in it, but you look at more, more robotics and automation, and you're doing this in a de developing country where there is a factory that makes widgets that employs people that are doing it by hand, and that really the village and stuff around there is dependent on that factory, and then you go replace all of them. Is that the right thing to do just simply because you can, and it makes the bottom line look bigger? Yeah, no, I, yeah, that's something I definitely think about a lot because I think, you know, automation, um, especially with, with, I think things like the automotive industry, right? Right mm -hmm. here in the U S um, we see Detroit really sort of suffering economically once mm -hmm. we were able to, you know, make the process cheaper. But at the end of the day, I think what's really important to think about too, is that these benefits are not enjoyed by everyone equally. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the people who own the, the automotive company or who own the factory, right. They're, um, able to cut costs. Um, and the way they do that is by firing yeah. and laying off, yeah. um, you know, workers. Right. And so they're enjoying the benefits of automation and this new tech development. Right. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden you have all these people who are losing their jobs, who can't necessarily transfer their skills into other, other parts of the economy. Um, and so, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it's easy to focus on, Oh, you know, Oh, we're cutting costs. We're saving money. You know, we're able to make cars, um, cheaper or faster or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but those benefits are enjoyed by everyone. Um, and I think it's also important to understand sort of these like disparate impacts, right? Mm -hmm. People are, are experiencing things differently. Um, and I think if we don't think about that, um, you know, from a technology, you know, development or design standpoint, um, we're not going to account for how people experience technology differently or are impacted by it differently too. Yeah. I, I think the, in my opinion, for what it's worth is, is I think that the best use of technology, AI and stuff is to make humans better at what they do. So, you know, the, the, it has the machine learning and AI has the unique capability of being able to take way more information than a human could possibly consume. You look at the, the, the weather models and stuff like that, you know, that you can sort of consume in there. They get more accurate because you can sort of, you can find patterns and stuff and data that a human would take, you know, many, many man hours to do and more time that the time would actually be passed by it by the time you got down there to do that. So I think that's the good part of that. It really helps us make better decisions if we're allowed to make those decisions with, um, you know, not necessarily the, it's always a cost benefit time. I mean, it, it is business. It costs money to do these things and all that. So I understand that. But in a perfect world, which I think is sort of what you, you know, one of the things you're trying to help do is make the world more perfect with your book is what's the story behind that? So you mentioned, you know, I, I was, I think we've answered that question is how does a law student, somebody in law school, get interested in AI, right? So it comes back down to some of the legal matters and stuff. So very good on that. How did this, you know, tell me the story about how the book came about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I, for, for a long time, I've wanted to, to write a book and it just so happened that I, you know, the opportunity arose, um, you know, this past year, I've been sort of chipping away at it for, for over, you know, about over a year now, but the idea for this topic in particular, I think came about probably around 2015, 2016 for me when I was actually, um, at the time I was working at the legal aid society and we were doing a lot of really interesting, uh, you know, advocacy and research work sort of about how, um, you know, automation was being used to analyze forensic evidence and how there are issues in the way that that was being done, uh, mostly from a design perspective, right? People were not accounting for 
the whole you know spectrum of um, you know diversity when you look at DNA, and then also studying a lot of um, predictive policing algorithms and sort of how there are issues there. Where sort of what I was saying earlier, we're relying on historical data. We're just going to see that history repeat itself over and over again. Um, and now it's going to be hard to do that because now we're saying, oh, the the algorithm says that we should do this, um, and we don't question it because it's scientific, it's technical. Um, and so I spent a lot of time, um, you know, back in 2015, 2016, really diving into these issues and it really, really piqued my interest. I, you know, I think up to that point, I was very much a tech optimist. I think I still love technology a great deal, but I was a lot more optimistic about sort of what technology can do for us. And then realizing, oh, um, there are a lot of problems that we don't know about, or we are just discovering. Um, and I don't think enough people are talking about it. And so I spent a lot of time since then, really, you know, immersing myself in this issue, talking to a lot of really incredible people who've been doing this for their whole lives. Um, and I was thinking to myself, I have built this really great network of people who have these amazing stories, who've done all this, all this amazing work, both in terms of like research and advocacy. Um, why don't I tell their story? Why don't I highlight the work that they've been doing and also share a bit of my own opinion um, from doing this work? And how do I make this topic more approachable? Because I think a lot of it is, is really hidden behind a veil of like academia and like it's really technical and unapproachable and I really want to make it appeal to a wider audience. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that because, you know, as, as I, I understand enough about AI, I, I couldn't write the algorithm to do it. And, you know, I, it's not my it's not my area of expertise, but I do talk to a lot of people that, that do that. I was a mentor out at the University of Texas, uh, McCombs Business School. And they had programs and you know data analysis, data science, and stuff. And I would talk to the to the students that were out there, and you know I asked them to explain you know what are you doing, how are you doing, you know what's going on, and they would start getting into the the the, the I call it text explaining. That's because I'm I'm trying to end text explaining because you know they got down into the some nuts and bolts and Python, and, and I'm like whoa 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 whoa, what problem is it solving? Tell me that. Right. I, you know, I don't care if it's a millisecond faster or you can do it. What problem out there is this solving? Because if you can explain that to me, if you can tell me that story, then I, you know, where the mass people can understand it from their frame of reference, then that is, you know, that's useful. Otherwise, you're going to be doing academic papers and talking to people at conferences and you're still talking amongst yourself. We still have this shroud of, secret is perceived secrecy or evil nefarious things going on behind the scenes when if you just sort of were able to explain it to shine a light on it i think like what you're doing in the book it would be a totally different story and then i think you'd get more buy-in and then maybe even some ideas on how to make it even better yeah oh i love that text explaining <laughs> yeah I, I think i think it can definitely feel like that right it's all of a sudden you get into all the techno babble, all the jargon, and it, it just goes over a lot of people's heads. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I think even people for people who do understand all that stuff, right? Um, and, and I think that community is growing. I think more and more people are understanding it. Um, but I think especially for the people who are working to make changes, right? Who are the AI ethicists, mm -hmm. the you know, software developers, AI designers, right? I think for the people in that group who really care about making change, Mm -hmm. um, I think you need to look outside and sort of look at how do I get the public, how do I get people to buy into, as you said, right, like mm -hmm. really believe in what I'm trying to get across. Um, and I think you have to change the way you you convey your story and 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 talk about your you know the the, the issues, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think if it's not easy to understand, people aren't going to care. Mm 
Yeah. Right. And so that's, yeah, that was a big motivator for the book. And I think sort of how do I take this really sort of oftentimes I think dense and, and it can be kind of a boring issue at yeah, times. Yeah. I've taken I, a nap reading it, some academic papers before I've taken nap. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I figured I'll, I'll do, I'll do a lot of that work on my end. How do I, how do I sift through this stuff and how do I explain it in a way that more and more people can understand anyone can pick this up, read it and really feel, Oh, like this is a really serious issue. How do we, yeah. how do we start addressing this? And I think it gets the public to actually question things more. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah, I, I think it does two things. So so right now, the way I see things, and as I talk to people, it's broken down to two camps. Those that, hey, it's out there. It's going, you know, Mainly, these are younger people that sort of grew up with technology and just assume that everything on the phone, hey, I'm, I find everything's out there. They're going to find it anyways. And then you got the older group, of which I'm a part of, which has this big distrust of things we don't understand. And that we grew up in the area where you should protect your social security, you should protect all this other information because it's private and yours. And then, so you get this friction between the two camps and, and the, there's a wide chasm. There's only a, a few people sort of in this middle ground, which, you know, it sounds like you are trying to explain it. And we need to get that middle ground bigger, right? The, the, this, cause I think if we can get agreement and we can get understanding for the, you know, over 50% of the population, then we can make some progress and then we can do some interesting things where but right now it's, it's, it's almost like in the U S where you got Democrats and Republicans and there's no, you know, there's no middle ground anymore, which is where, you know, progress is made. This is in that middle ground where we have an understanding to do things. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I think that's a really great observation. I think, um, we need to make that sort of middle section of the Venn diagram a little bit larger, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And so, um, yeah, I think, I think, and that's where I think the tech education is really, really key, right? I think, I think, um, you know, older folks or people who are just, I think, a little bit more skeptical of how this stuff works. I think that, that healthy skepticism is really key. Mm -hmm. And I think um, there's a growing group of, I think, younger people too, who are sort of seeing, okay, um, this, you know, this technology makes things really convenient, but um, how do they do that? Um, why, why is it that you know, when I scroll through Instagram, it's, it's infinite and it doesn't, the, the, the scroll doesn't stop. Um, it's constantly trying to figure out what, you know, keeps me on the platform, things like that. I think that that skepticism, that, you know, question, I think that's really important. Um, and I think that's where, you know, going back to tech education, I think, um, yeah, I think, I think, the, you know, younger people need to sort of um, be exposed to sort of like, hear the problems. Mm. Um, social media and technology, I think, can be really, really valuable, right? It connects people. It makes the world a little bit smaller so that you can talk to people with hopefully different perspectives and you're getting exposure to those different opinions. Mm -hmm. and I think it makes your life richer as a result. But I think also being mindful of how do you make sure that you still own the data that's yours, mm -hmm. right? I think, I think we forget that, you know, we think of data as like this thing that floats around on the internet or on the mm -hmm. cloud or whatever it might be. But like we, we are the data, right? Yeah. Like the data tells our story. And I think right now where there's so much data flying around at all times, um, we're seeing sort of the biggest record of human history, I think that we've ever seen ever, right? And I think, I think the more that we realize that this data is ours, I think the more protective we'll be of it. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think that's an important concept to internalize that we are the data. Yeah, I mean, it gets back to these products and these apps and these other things. And I, I, use, you know, I use them very judiciously which ones that I use because in essence, we are the product. 
for, for those, the data and stuff. We are the product for that company because we're not paying for the service that comes up. What I, what I hope that we will see is that it is, you know, people awaken that, yeah, I find this service valuable and I'll pay for it, but my data is my data. Leave it alone. Right. Help, help me make my experience a little better, but don't try to profit off of me. Right. I, I will buy a service that I believe in. I will pay for it, but I, you know, I draw Like I said, I have a VPN that I, that I put on. I'd gladly pay the, whatever it is an annual year. So I have the VPN that's running on my end because I fundamentally don't just trust whoever can tap into the line. That's a little bit of the Tom Clancy conspiracy theory thing there. So I have a little bit of that with that, but it's for me, it's makes me feel safer to go ahead and, and, you know, talk to people and do some other things. So anyway, that's my frame of mind. I sort of, I drift over towards the, towards the more conservative is my day, you know, the, the older group on that one, but I do understand as so I'll dip my toe. in. so I, I think I'm in the middle. I, you know, I, I maybe left of middle or right or middle, whichever side you want to do it. But I do try to evangelize that. And I really, I'm looking forward to your book so I can, I can, I can sort of get, get more of your view. I think we're very much aligned in a lot of, um, a lot of our viewpoints. Yeah, no. Yeah. And no, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too, but I think, uh, I think at the end of the day, right? I think it's really, I think we really value that choice mm -hmm. and being able to do things on our own terms, mm -hmm. right? And I think with, you know, exactly what you said, right? With the VPN and being able to use the these apps and platforms judiciously, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like you're off the grid and you're living in the woods and, and you know, you don't want anything to do with this stuff. <laughs> I think yeah. I think there's a lot of value with, yeah. with being on, on these platforms and being able to connect with people and talk to people mm -hmm. that you wouldn't otherwise be able to, right? Yeah. Um, I think there, there's a huge, there's a lot of value there. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, like exactly what you're saying, right. I think, I think that's sort of one aspect of the book too, is, um, how do we use this technology in a way that will do the most good, but mm -hmm. is also on our own terms yeah. where we're not, you know, giving up more than we're getting. Right. I think that's, that's something that's really key. Um, and yeah, I think, it, yeah, it's all about being able to control what you do with, with these products and with these services. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, Again, I, I I'm a movie fan. I, I don't know if you ever saw Enemy of the yeah. State had Will Smith in it and all that, which was which was a great. You know, he, he had the Faraday cage and all the other stuff that was going on. And again, this was one of those dystopian views. But if you look at some of the news, the news that comes out about how they're spied on former presidents and they've done these other things, that it's like, okay, maybe this stuff is not so far fetched. So we need to shine a light on what's going on. And I think your book, if I had to sort of summarize your story of coming to the book. I mean, you were studying law. You had, you, you, you had a little nerd, you know, part of you was a little nerdy, but you, you found that love of the law and then two, and you found the need to say, Hey, look, we need to demystify some of this stuff and, and, and try to shine the light on areas that are, are um, prone to not necessarily malicious failure, but, but unconscious failure, you know, by, by not by using our own biases and stuff in that. And you want to write a book that sort of explained that, got rid of the text explaining, explained it in a way that could help draw more people towards the middle. And so if I, if I had to summarize your story, would that be fairly representative? Yeah, no, I think so. I think, yeah, no, I think that's a really, really, you know, concise. And I think that captures the, the full spectrum of, I think, what the book is trying to get at. I think it's one part, like history lesson of sort of how we got here. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a little bit of, um, you know, talking a little bit about the politics and the policies that got us here as well. Because mm -hmm. um, I think at the end of the day, I think the law can only do so much. I think, you right. know, as someone who has spent my time studying it and everything, 
Um, I think there is a lot of value in like, you know, bringing suits to make changes um, and, and, and advocating and, and doing all that work. But I think there's a huge part of it that, you know, we can't fix this until technology is fixed right. too. Right. And the way we fix the technology is realizing that we are the ones who design it, right? Yeah. Um, the, the technology is what we build. It's using the information that we have generated, mm-hmm. right? And so um, until we realize that, I think we're going to keep seeing a lot of these same issues coming up over and over again. Yeah. And it affects people in different ways. Yeah, and I think that's where we need to get more of the people that are in that middle that we're talking about make that bigger so that they're designing the technology and stuff with it, because then they're coming at it from this more holistic Indian, you know, what's the, what's the impact to this technology and versus the business value and stuff. So that, that then you're making an educated decision. As you say, it's, it's important to know how we got here to understand where we may be going. If we don't change trajectory, you know, history is a great predictor of future, um, future trajectory if you don't change it and i think the the enlightening and the education that you're doing this book is fantastic i, I i'm be you know it'll, it'll be on my read chart when it comes out for sure um because i i like to gain that extra insight and, and find people that think if, if you can find people that think close to what you do because i because i'll never I will never follow somebody that's on extreme extreme ends of either spectrum you know the faraday cages and stuff i you know that i'm that's too far-fetched. There's too much bias in that for me to digest and believe. And those that, oh, it's just free. Everybody's benevolent and there's no harm in doing these. So I, I can't relate to either of those people. So I, I like those people that sort of <clears throat> maybe a little bit further to the other side than I am in the middle, because I think that's where you can learn and, and expand and get agreement. Yeah, no, I think that's really key. I think, I think, um, yeah, I think you need a fair dose of both, right? Mm-hmm. I think, I think any, any, you know, too far in one direction or right. the other, I think you miss out on the nuance, yeah. right? And I think, I think you, you know, I think like any good story or any good perspective, mm-hmm. you need to consider sort of what are the, you know, the, the, the costs and the benefits on both, both ends. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think especially with technology where we're seeing so many really phenomenal benefits that come from it. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it has made a lot of things better. Um, but I think we also need to find ways to minimize the costs of using it too. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to make it where it's affordable because you know, the, the interesting thing and in, been in tech long enough, know that in, especially in the education piece of that, that, that income level or, or where they, where you grew up, where you were born and stuff that doesn't, I, I, wore, I was on the board of a boys and girls club here in, in the U.S. close by, <clears throat> and I'd watch the kids that came in who tended to be on the lower part of the economic scale. But when they got in front of the computers and they were exposed to this other stuff, you watch the ideas and all that that you couldn't really tell them apart from somebody that had, you know, that was it grew up with this stuff, right? So, so once they had access and exposure to the same things that the kids at the other end did there's brilliance all over the place. If we just simply give them access to it, as you talk about affordability and access to it, I think it's critical because you could have somebody that cures cancer or prevents COVID from ever happening again, could be in some village somewhere where, you know, they, they, you know, they, there's one cell phone for the whole town. I mean, it's, you know, how do we give them access? How do we do that? Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a tough question, Doug. Yeah. No, it is. (laughs) Yeah. uh, but no, I think that's really key. And I think that really gets to the problem of sort of how whenever we have these huge leaps in, in technical technological development, mm-hmm. um, again, you know, not everyone feels the benefits in the same right, way. Right. Right. 
And so if we can improve access too, I think exactly what you're saying. I think, I think that enhances opportunities for more people. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I, I think anytime the, the tide rises, right. All, all the ships benefit from it. Right. right. And so how do we um, make sure that technology can be accessible to more people? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also that allows people to also scrutinize it more too. Right. Right. right? Yeah, um, yeah. But I think, yeah, I think there are really amazing opportunities in, in the tech space. And I think um, I've had the chance to, you know, speak to and, and work with different sort of more like public or interest oriented technologists mm-hmm. who are thinking about, okay, you know, a lot of people who are entering this whole like startup and tech culture, especially in, uh, in San Francisco, how do we, you know, a lot of people are gravitated towards, you know, the Facebooks, the Googles, mm-hmm. the Amazons. Yeah. Um, but there are so many other companies, even the private space, right, who are doing really amazing things and really beneficial things with technology, um, how do we get people to realize that there's other ways to use your amazing skill set in computer mm-hmm. science and programming and data analysis um, for these other companies instead? Right. Because um, I think I think you know I think there still is a lot of good being done in the private sector and in the tech industry. Um, and again, I think they get kind of you know lost in the sound of you know the Facebooks, the Googles, the Amazons, yeah. things like yeah. that. Yeah. And nobody <laughs> companies like for the most part, companies like people are, are neither all good or all bad. We're sort of a mixed bag of, of all the others. And it, you know, so, so how do I, I look forward to what your book can do is I think it's a great conversation to have. And, and again, starting that, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, you know, how do we get the book? When's it coming out? Yeah. Um, so the book um, is called machine C machine do um, that'll be available on, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, in December, actually. So really soon. Uh, it doesn't feel real yet because <laughs> it's just been a bunch of Word documents on my computer for the past you know, year. Yeah. And so I think once I get the physical copies in my hand, that's when it'll feel real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the book will be available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, and as for me, um, I'm on LinkedIn a whole lot. I'm really active on LinkedIn. And so people can connect with me there. Um, and I'm trying to get into Twitter, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I've had a Twitter for years and years, but uh, I haven't been all that active on it. And so trying to get more engaged there, because I think there are really great conversations there, especially in the AI space. Um, yeah. So just trying to get more active there. But those are sort of the main you know, cool. platforms that I've been using. Yeah. And I'll put the links in the show notes for that. So Patrick, thanks a lot for your book. Thanks for the taking the time to, to talk about it with us today. And, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll definitely check out the book and then loop back with you and let you know what I think about it. Yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts, but thanks so much for having me on today, Doug. Cool. Um, loved our conversation. Great. Well, thanks everybody. And until next time. Bye.